Welcome to Cars and Kung Fu, a podcast about two totally unrelated subjects. I'm your host, Chris Fasini, and I have my co-host, Coven. Hello. And Delmar. What's up, everybody? All right. So let's go ahead and get to it. So, Coven, with the evolution of the JDM market being real popular to American muscle, do you think that we have still muscle cars in the traditional sense, even if they're Japanese or if they're uh, European or domestic? Or do we have some kind of uh, mixture? Are muscle cars even still cool? And I see Delmar already has a question. Before you even start, what does JDM mean? So JDM is Japanese domestic market. So basically, without hurting people's feelings, it's just cars that are made or are made by Japanese companies. If you own a Toyota or a Honda or a Nissan, you basically have a JDM car. Um, if it comes straight from Japan, that is definitely a JDM car. Um, like a Honda Civic or anything that's made in Japan is more of a Japanese domestic market. Um, and your question, Chris, for the Japanese market and definitely with muscle cars, I'd say JDM themselves are still keeping some of their cars, keep the roots of muscle, but they're going more towards the modernization of muscle cars. And even muscle cars in America now are going towards being sports cars i'll say this dodge dodge is keeping the muscle alive dodge Dodge is just tossing dodge is definitely keeping the muscle alive but i go to a lot of car shows not more some of the local ones some of the bigger ones you know if you got a chrysler you've got the hemi in it yep it doesn't matter what year they take out whatever if it's a 340 duster Mm -hmm. they've they've put a modern hemi in it yep they've ls swapped everything yeah. You know, everything's got an LS in it. God forbid I see a, a Ford F100 with the LS swap in it. And the, the Coyote motors just as yeah. bad. So uh, do we see a lot of those in the Japanese uh, markets or a lot of people LS swapping? I know a Mazda, they make the kit for it's pretty easy, the, the Miata. But what about the Supras, the Celicas, um, so I'll or see- even some of the... the Nissan 300. Delmar with another question. What is an LS swap? Okay, let me get to that. I'm going to get to that. To answer your question, Chris, I'll tell you, for the JDM scene, it's like a 1JZ, the 2JZs, the RB26s, the RB motors from Nissan. Those are, those are the K-swap from Honda. Those are the equivalent of LS swaps. Uh, people are case swapping almost anything. People are when you're gonna J- have to really explain a lot of this, sir. I know. I'm, I'm just gonna rope that in with the LS. Um, people are one J, uh, one J or two J swapping. Um, I mean, I know a guy who I own a Nissan Frontier, and I know a guy on the Nissan Frontier forums that swapped a. I believe he put in a, uh, a RB motor or he put in like a 1J or something like that. And it's going to make less power and it's not going to be as efficient as the actual motor that came with the truck. But he did it because he can just swap it. It's just a fun idea. It's a fun project. Uh, and to answer your question, Delmar, um, swaps are just like an LS. LS is a popular Chevy motor. Uh, it came in a lot of, uh, it came in cars like Corvettes. Um, I believe the Caprice had an LS, I believe. 
Caprices, um, Camaros, trucks. Yep. A lot of vehicles that Chevy used were LSs. They're actually a reliable motor. Well, some people would say not, but they're actually a somewhat reliable motor, but they make a lot of power and people have a lot of kits to make it have a lot of power. Same with the K series. K series is Honda's most pride. I mean, at the moment, one of their most uh, prideful engines. The K series is as a Honda is one of the most reliable engines you could probably swap into anything. And it takes boost. It takes a lot of power and you can build a lot on it on just stock internals. Same with honestly, same with the LS, same with um, I'm not too with Nissan Motors. I'm not too like familiar, but definitely with um, like the one and two J. I mean, people just toss those in anything uh, like the Lexus IS is uh, just basically a better man sedan. It came with a I believe it came with a one J. You could get it with a one J and they're basically super motors. Uh, Well, the two J is definitely a super motor, but they make power. A lot of people out there will have two J's and supers that make a thousand horsepower. That's a lot. And that's a lot to move. And that's why the 2J is so popular, because they could toss that in anything and then make a thousand horsepower. OK, that, that definitely helps me out. Thanks. And in terms of swaps, that's how Japan is doing. Uh, that's how cars from Japan are doing it, by just sticking bigger J- Japanese motors in there. Same with uh, with America. I see a lot of people just retrofit. Right now, it's a lot of retrofitting. Uh, old Camaros getting LS swaps or, you know, Hemi's getting put in like 32 Dodges or and stuff like that. That's how people are retrofitting now. So they're just tossing in more power and then tossing in uh, retrofitting the electronics. I think there's a market for that. I'm still old school. I've got my 52 Ford truck that I'm rebuilding. It's got coyote. a flathead V8. Put a coyote in it. No, coyote's just going coyote in this. In it. It's even going to stay the three speed, uh, three on the tree or the stick shift up on the tree on the column instead of on the floor. Just put a coyote motor. No coyote motors going in this one. But I'll see, this is the this is like the argument between um, and, you know, me and Chris are joking here. But like there are guys who want to keep stuff old school. Like, for example, why would you swap a Hemi in, you know, when you have like a 442? Why would you put a Hemi in it? Why would you put like an LS motor? Why would you do stuff like that? A lot of people like to keep it classic. But you have a lot of young guys like me that are just like, well, it's a project car. Let's make some power. Let's go to the drag strip. You know, let's show it off because it's a lot of work. But it's also a lot of work to restore a car. So you have the guys who want to restore everything to its OEM classic ability. And you want guys that, well, you know. Mm, might mess around a day and put an LS in something, you know, just guys like that. And that's how, you know, the muscle car game and everybody now is that's just how they're doing those things. It's definitely a uh, definitely um, costs about the same, I would figure. Um, although my flathead was a uh, quite pricey, it would have been cheaper to put a 302 or even a Coyote uh, engine in it. Is it relatively expensive to LS swap or K swap or J swap? So that that actually depends. Depends on the car. I'll say it that much. If the car, uh, let's say, for example, a lot of people like to swap to bigger K's if their car came with a K. Uh, let's say you had a, um, a K20 in a uh, RSX. The RSX could have came with a K24. So people will just put in the bigger motor and it's just a plug and play thing. 
you don't need that much to to change your stuff around. Now, if you're dropping something in a car that is 60 years old and you're putting a Hemi or like I'm joking with Chris, if you've got a 52 Ford and you're putting a Coyote in that, there's a lot of aftermarket stuff and a lot of cutting and a lot of welding you got to do to make that thing fit. And that's when it starts to get expensive because now you need a computer, you need everything because you're putting a modern engine into a truck that was built in 1952. A lot of the fuel injection, all that kind of stuff need computers. Uh, it's kind of a, kind of a different, different air. So, so I guess the muscle still, still exists out there. It just it does. depends on how they, how they want it. If it's Japanese, European, mm-hmm. um, what about European cars? Do anybody mess with those? I know there's a website Jags that run that, uh, Makes a lot of swap overs. Um, I did put a Vol- I did put a 350 Chevy and a Volvo 740 one time uh, for a friend of mine. I uh, love we you. ended up not not finishing that project, but it was a lot of fun to order the kit from Jags at Run, and it would bolt right in. So, what about these European cars? Um, I know Mercedes is known for its V8s and its mm-hmm. its muscle. Do anybody swap any of that kind of stuff out? I actually bought wheels from a guy that was trying to swap things into a Mercedes um, and he had like 12 project cars. Um, I'm I'm not a European guy, but I know a lot of the European guys usually stick with the engine that they've got in there um, and just boost it up and upgrade uh, upgrade stuff like that. But I'll also say this on the topic of European. Any car is a car that's eligible for LS swap. And I'll shout out Gingium because he has a YouTube channel. Um, but he dropped the LS in a Volvo 240 wagon. That's a lot of cut and that's a lot of that's a lot of fabrication you got to do. But he made it work. Anybody will swap anything into anything. That's true. I have seen some crazy stuff like Toyotas with Ferrari motors. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why, why would yeah, you do Toyota that? Yeah, the Toyota GT86 that they swapped, uh, where they put that... Uh, the V12 Ferrari in where the engine's literally sticking out of it. You cannot put a hood on it um, and drifting that around. People will put anything in anything. And just that motor alone costs a lot. That's for sure. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, Delmar. What's up, Chris? What do you think? I know we got a lot of uh, Kids martial arts schools, and I, I call them that. They make most of their money off of uh, children. Nothing wrong with that. I applaud anybody who is able to be an entrepreneur and, and make money doing something you love, which is teach martial arts. Where do you see the traditional martial arts going, uh, such as, as some of the things we teach? I know for me personally, we have a kids program. It's not very full uh, because we do teach a traditional form of Kung Fu. Um, mostly adults, mostly people that want to study Kung Fu, uh, either had studied something else because they couldn't find Kung Fu, moved here and they wanted to continue studying Kung Fu, or uh, it's something, especially the popularity of the movies with uh, the Kung Fu TV series, Shang-Chi is coming out. Um, we have get a lot of, uh, of people wanting to come in and study Kung Fu. Where do you see the traditional arts landing or what should we do to keep the traditional arts alive during uh an era where a lot of kids will watch kung fu panda and and want to start a start a martial arts program i think 
think the traditional martial arts, especially with children, will continue to thrive in some respects because parents want the discipline. They want that aspect of the martial arts that will teach their children to be better citizens, better people. Sometimes schools like that will, you know, use programs to to lure in more children and to gain a younger crowd and uh, use a lot of marketing ploys to to get, you know, children um, to do martial arts. And sometimes you have schools that don't necessarily. When you say traditional, teach from a traditional standpoint, they use a lot of modern teaching um aspects and so sometimes the training may not be as difficult as it should be and sometimes the program will maybe lacks on some of its standards because you know you can't expect a child to sometimes pick up some of the more complicated concepts of the martial arts so while i do think the traditional martial arts um is doing quite well with the children. I kind of want to, I kind of want to go a little bit meta with what you're saying. When you say traditional, I feel like traditional means you are teaching the martial art uh, unhindered the way that um, the people before you kind of passed on the art. So I know with our programs, uh, we don't have big children's programs, but I think part of that is because we have high standards for our students. We expect them to do certain things and do the techniques the correct way. And if they're not old enough to learn a concept, um, we're going to try to break it down for them. But until they are able to comprehend it, um, that may limit their going up in rank or or gaining another sash level or a belt or however you want to do in your martial arts. So at least I know I do that at my school. So I like to. When I teach my kids, if you're not able to do a sidekick, you're not going to move on until you're able to do a sidekick. If you're not able to do the form that I'm teaching you, I'll break it down. I will do my best to ensure that you have all the concepts, uh, you know, of course. But, you know, some people, um, you know, especially children are going to have trouble picking up certain martial concepts. And I do believe like a lot of schools have started to make their program more into a daycare, um, to be totally honest. So you start to kind of get into the term McDojos. But I think if you're really considering a traditional aspect, you have to have high standards for your students, not just not just your adults, but your children, too. Well, in breaking down traditional, uh, I've always looked at not necessarily. Uh, I think we always have to evolve. We always have to look at new teaching concepts. Uh, in our pandemic, especially, we talked about Zoom and and some of the challenges. So we still were able to maintain, but uh, keeping um, the core concepts of the traditional martial arts and not. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, my nephew used to study uh, Taekwondo. And I went and watched his practice one Saturday and my I went with my sister. He was very young then, eight years old, I think, maybe younger. And I said, well, do you want to introduce me to your instructors? And my sister said, well, he doesn't know them. These are just Saturday instructors that come in to teach. Uh, 
And so I, I felt that was very untraditional. You would normally know your instructors and they wouldn't be there just to, they had a kickball game and they would tell them different kicks to do. And while I like some of the concepts of that and, and teaching people to kick uh, using a game like that, um, I've always thought the industry missed an opportunity. They could have made foam wrenches and said, if you can dodge a wrench, you know, Ooh, they, they dodge a ball. They, they missed some of these concepts that I think they could have could have jumped on. But um, even going as far as uh, let's back off the kids and look at traditional arts like uh, five five animal kung fu and uh, as compared to, say, Brazilian jiu jitsu. So. Five animal kung fu? I'm concerned about what I just heard. Okay, so traditionally Shaolin, uh, one of the oldest Shaolin styles is five animal kung fu. Um, that style was made because the Shaolin monks felt that humans had gone the way of the pen in the way of civilization. And so they lost the spirit to fight. So they had to look back to the animals and look to the five popular animals of China, including a mythological one. Mm -hmm. So the five animals are dragon, snake, crane, leopard, and tiger. And so they imitated these movements. You have a tiger claw, you have a crane stance, uh, you have leopard footwork and leopard fist, which is a, a different type of fist. I won't try to describe it. Okay. Uh, but they would do these different... Um, they said they looked back to the animals, learned the spirit to fight. And then you have modern uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu comes to mind. Uh, they took a Japanese traditional style in Brazil and they mixed it with um, some of the arts that they already had there, uh, which were popular among some street fighters and some things. So uh, that's more of a modern style. Um, what do we say, Delmar? Maybe... 50 years old or so? Well, definitely, I would probably say 20th century. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is definitely more modern. Um, but, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying about the traditional um, five-animal kung fu, um, I, I do feel like you're having people who are straying away from some of those traditional styles in that respect um, to incorporate more modern things like uh, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or um, even uh, just thinking off the top of my head, um, more MMA or kickboxing style um, into their martial arts because one is popular. People want to do that. Um, a lot of people are wanting to get into MMA or do uh, UFC and things like that. So you see a lot of people who are changing their programs, uh, you know, where they taught, you know, traditional five animal Kung Fu. Uh, now it's more or less, uh, Hey, we're now we're doing MMA, even though in some respects, you're still doing traditional five animal Kung Fu. I know, uh, in the eighties, we had a lot of what I called fad schools and I, I really struggled with, with some of the things they would, um, start by teaching their traditional karate. And then all of a sudden, uh, they were teaching ninjutsu. Well, I knew the instructor. The instructor didn't learn ninjutsu anywhere. He may have read a book about it. Uh, and then later, um, stick fighting became real popular. Remy Persas and was a big uh, proponent going around, doing a lot of seminars. And you would get 
certificates from these seminars. And so uh, all of a sudden they were advertising, they were these stick fighters along and you learned it along with your karate or uh, Kung Fu or whatever. And um, you would have these different fads, judo, uh, jujitsu, and all of a sudden now you were mixing so many things up. I'm wondering um, if it's the old saying is true. You got a lot of knives, but none of them are sharp. Well, you know, and, and I think that's what's become in the martial arts community. You have a lot of people who are just using, uh, hey, you know, come learn Wing Chun. Wing Chun got really popular with the Ip Man movies. And you had a lot of people who were advertising, oh, yeah, we do Wing Chun. Um, and maybe they only, you know, knew a few techniques and, and didn't really have a grasp of the system. But, hey, as long as they get people in the door, they were using it to make money. And, and like you said, with fast schools. I mean, that happens a lot. COVID. Is there, are there schools that you guys think that will do stuff like this where it's like, oh, you know, come learn Wing Chun, but they'll also, but they won't, they'll teach something else. You know what I mean? Like they'll teach like ninjutsu or something, right? But just the people, of course, come through, won't really know because they're expecting to learn Wing Chun. They just think it's all Wing Chun. Let me answer that. So a lot of times, especially in the Kung Fu community, you have a lot of people who use karate uh, when they're really teaching Kung Fu or, or they'll put karate and they're teaching Taekwondo. Um, so they'll try to use words and things that people will recognize to draw people in. Um, so, you know, at my school, when I advertise, yes, I do Ishinryu karate so I can use, hey, we do karate like at my school, because I'm a karate instructor, hmm. you know? So, but you have a lot of people who, who all they've done is Taekwondo, but they have karate on their billboard. So when I'm driving around, I'm like, wait a second, that's a Taekwondo school. Why do they have karate up there? Oh, I get it. It's marketing. So you have a lot of people who are doing that now. And same thing with the MMA. Everybody's saying, Hey, we do MMA. We do MMA. Well, I guess you do MMA cause you do, you know, different martial systems. Hmm. So technically, Yes, but are you doing the UFC cage fighting? Are you training for that? Mm -hmm. Are you training for a cage fight? Are you just using that term to draw people in? So, yeah, you get a lot of people who are who are using those terms as a marketing ploy. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy out there in the martial arts world uh, with a lot of different um, arts and a lot of seminars. People can gain a lot. Um, there's some unscrupulous individuals uh there's uh one advertised that they did krav maga and the guy went to a seminar for a weekend and uh got a certificate um doesn't necessarily mean that he knows krav maga which is very effective art uh but he sure didn't stop him from putting it on his advertising and you see a lot of people who do that nowadays because martial arts has become a lot more accessible um, it's not like in the olden days where you maybe had to travel to a school. Uh, you can just go online like we talked about in a previous episode. Mm -hmm. You can go online and do some Zoom classes and you get a certificate and somebody says, hey, I got my black belt, you know, and or you could just literally go on a computer and make a certificate and buy a black belt and teach whatever you want. And you see a lot of people doing that. So um, I think you know, maybe in the future, that will be a great topic on, you know, how we can choose or how you should choose or look at, uh, you know, the martial arts and, and instructors and schools and how you can make a smart decision if you decide to go that route. We were really fortunate. We had some really good teachers that uh, that could show us a difference. 
Um, very, very thankful to my instructors, you know. Um, like I said, shout out to, you know, all the the real martial arts instructors out there because there are a lot of people who are teaching ineffective martial arts. All right. Well, wrapping up, uh, a little bit of Kung Fu history today. Uh, late 1500s, uh, the Omishin Temple is built. That's on Mount Emi or Omi, depending on if you're Cantonese or Mandarin translations. Uh, from there, the art that was most famously creative there was the praying mantis style of Kung Fu, the northern praying mantis. And in car history, the Flathead Ford V8 came out in 1932, which started the hot riding craze. We were talking about engine swaps before. The Flathead V8 was probably the first engine swapped into uh, some rails. They had some different buggies that would use a fuel tank off of a plane. They would cut out the middle. They'd put the Flathead V8 behind them and rig up a shifting system. And those were the first ones to run the Bonneville Salt Flats at 150 miles an hour. I want you to know he only said that because he's got a Flathead V8 in his truck this is why this is hey a, were we not talking swaps that's all i gotta say though i'm just that's saying we were talking swaps i knew it was coming the i knew it was coming was at that time most oh, okay uh, oh, were they swapped spray, motor were they spray scoop were they spray painted green too they were they came green i don't want to hear it oh whatever i don't want to so, hear it again thanks to our super producer bonnie, bonnie. coming straight from her uh <laughs> recording studio living room in uh sunny mint hill north carolina and we will catch you on the next one. Look us up on social media. Thank you so much.